Welcome to the podcast. My name is Father Bill W. I'm an Episcopal priest. I live here in Austin, Texas. And uh, since this is episode seven, I believe it is, in our series with uh, Dr. George Valiant on spiritual evolution, I think I'm just going to skip the introduction. Uh, go back and listen to the other ones if uh, if you haven't done that already. So we're taking a deep dive into, into George's book. Uh, its title is Spiritual Evolution. George was a research psychiatrist at Harvard University, worked there for many, many years, and also served as a non-alcoholic trustee for Alcoholics Anonymous. And his book really helped me uh, kind of put some meat on the bone for the word spiritual. We kind of toss it around and what the heck does it mean? And he says, when he uses it, what he's talking about is an amalgam, a collection of positive emotions, consciousness, uh, registering these emotions. You might call it our spiritual condition. You know, uh, our, our recovery depends on, on the quality, the nature, the depth of our spiritual condition. So he's what he's doing in, in his book is, is trying to describe the elements of that condition. He is a scientist, uh, done a lot of brain research and that kind of thing. And he locates spirituality in different sections of the brain uh, that have evolved over time to accommodate this evolution, he believes, of spirituality. So in, in some previous episodes, he's described faith, love, hope, joy. Uh, and, and now in this next one, we're going to take a deep dive into forgiveness. Uh, now, in recovery, I, th I think we tend to put our focus uh, not so much on the virtues, um, more on the opposites. So we're looking at forgiveness. What's the opposite of that? The, it's really resentments holding on uh, to some deep, burning old wounds, hatreds that uh, just simply won't seem to heal. Uh, so that's my spiritual condition. I'm kind of stuck at that level uh, of uh, of evolution is, is one way to put it, but uh, it's very painful. And I'm sure you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. So um, I think George has some, some really good things to teach us on the nature of forgiveness. I really found them helpful. And my hope is that you will too. So let's let's jump in. He begins with a, a definition of forgiveness that he borrows from a fellow scientist. A little technical, but uh, it's it's worth uh, it's worth studying. He he describes it as a willingness to abandon one's right to resentment, negative judgment, and indifferent behavior towards one who unjustly injured us while fostering the undeserved qualities of compassion, generosity, and even love towards him or her. And he adds, surprisingly, peace of mind comes more in forgiving others than in being forgiven, a paradox. 
So uh, j- just break it, break it down a little bit, uh, a willingness. So <laughs> turn our life and our will over to the care of God. So, so have I got the willingness to abandon a right that I may have to, to a resentment, a right I may have to a negative judgment and indifferent behavior towards, towards a fellow human being, all right? Someone who has unjustly injured us. And so th- th- those, th- that's who we're, who we're dealing with. And at the same time, it's kind of the flip, flip of that, while fostering the undeserved qualities of compassion. So I'm having compassion towards my enemy, generosity towards my enemy, and even love towards him or her. So that's a marvelous definition of, of what's involved in forgiveness. And as you can see, I mean, it just ain't a simple deal. Another thing I wanted to point out is, uh, and this, it kind of surprised me that he included forgiveness as a quality of, um, uh, you know, a, a spirit of spirituality. Uh, because I always th- kind of thought of forgiveness as an act. I forgive them. I haven't forgiven them. But he's saying it's more than that. It's a state of mind, a condition of the soul. Do I tend to be, and, and these made sense in some of the other uh, attributes we looked at, loving, trustful, joyful. But now he's saying, am I also a forgiving person? Am I open to that quality in myself and in my relations with others? And you might remember uh, that AA's program actually came about largely through the Oxford group. And, uh, and the Oxford group itself began with a man who was filled with anger and resentment. I kind of like that about uh, our origins. You know, we didn't come from holy people. We came from screwed up people and people who, who learned uh, what their screwed upness was doing to them. So this guy's name was Frank Bookman. His story of told it before, but quick repeat. Yeah. He had a fight with uh, some members of his board of directors. They said he was charging too much uh, on his food bill. They wanted to cut him down, cut it down. He was feeding homeless guys and uh, he got mad, quit his job, had a burning resentment. And uh, what he learned over the course of the next several weeks was that to the degree that he hated these guys, to that same degree, he cut off his relationship with God. God was not able to enter into his heart and soul and mind. His ego blocked it. All right. That's the nature of, of his problem. He learned it and he learned that uh, he needed to be freed from that. How he did that was he he owned his part of the deal, wrote what became our eight and ninth steps, wrote letters of amends to each of the men uh, he had, as he said in his letter, nursed ill will towards, uh, hated them, you know, <laughs> and uh, and asked for their forgiveness, asked for their forgiveness, and uh, something that also gets overlooked in. Uh, in looking at the Oxford group, studying its history, is that it, it, it kind of hit its high point 
in the period between World War I and World War II. And Frank Bookman was convinced that just as he had to forgive people uh, in his life, nations have to forgive one another in their relationships and businesses do it and communities need to do it, that it goes beyond just self. You learn it in yourself, but then it needs to progress uh, onward into all of our relationships. And it, what he was convinced of was that if the nations of the world didn't learn to forgive, there was going to be another and a far uh, worse war. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. He was right. And I think you can, you can see some of that that's playing out right now on the world stage. You can see it in Russia and the Ukraine. You can uh, see it in Israel and Gaza and, and, and many other sections of the world where it's happening. Hatred, resentment, uh, murders, war, destruction, you know? Valiant uh, goes on to say that uh, it seems to be only ants and human beings who are capable of war, and particularly wars that last a long time. We're not really in charge of forgiving. So it says, quote, the harder we try cognitively, using our left brain, to forgive, the harder it becomes. We're not in conscious charge of forgiving or of being forgiven. Forgiveness is a gift. And, and like love, tears, and laughter, it can't be commanded. These are, he says, little miracles. They happen to us. We become, and it's just, just like uh, having a defect of character. We first become willing to have it removed. We don't remove it. It, it's 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 by entering into a a state of of willingness to forgive that it then happens to us. He notes that forgiveness imposed by religious duty, I must forgive, usually increases blood pressure. But forgiveness mediated by empathy and love does not. Nursing the hurt, savoring the grudge. These increase blood pressure and, and speed up the pulse. Forgiveness, however, reduces cardiac risk. I got mad at my computer the other day. I lost all, all of my uh, work. I mean, I'm talking years of stuff. Uh, got a new computer and it didn't, it didn't uh, migrate over to the new one. And I was rageful, innerly rageful at a machine and a machine, and I could, I could feel my neck. Uh, I, I mean, I just wanted to crash it. Well, thank God I didn't, uh, and I'm working on it. Uh, but I could feel it, and then I could. My body was carrying uh, that unforgiveness. So, and what, so what he's saying, uh, what I'm just describing there, is that this thing is emotional. It's not in your head. You know, it's, it's deep, deep within our bodies. He goes on, he, he discusses uh, the history of the Middle East, you know, where, where you got Christians, Jews, Muslims all coming together in a very small uh, geographical area. And they all have excellent 
cognitive teachings, he said, uh, the Jews with the Old Testament, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against your neighbor, uh, of your neighbor as yourself. Well, not doing so good with that one right now. The Christians, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Well, the Crusades were not, uh, not, not our, our strongest point. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We're all about forgiveness. Intellectually, emotionally, where are we at? In the Quran, he notes that it's, you know, it's especially hard for the weak to forgive until the powerful have said that they are sorry. Watch that in, in family dynamics. You know, you ask, you ask your six-year-old kid to apologize, you know. Well, try it, try it going at it the other way around. Try apologizing to them and see if it doesn't uh, bring it out. The power discrepancy is important. He says not until the 20th century uh, when three heroic and colonially abused men, Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and Nelson Mandela, modeled forgiveness, not until they came along, did the powerful finally get it. It's only recently that a pope apologized to Africans for the church's role in slavery, apologized to the Jews for the church's role in 1,500 years of persecution, and to the Islamic world for the Crusades. So the, the Pope asking people for forgiveness, that sets in motion the possibility for peace. He says forgiveness is a function of cultural maturity. And anytime it says maturity, we got to be careful because <laughs> that's not usually our, our strong suit, neither culturally uh, nor, uh, nor individually. Certainly as, as addicts, uh, there's a lot to be said that uh, emotionally, we have a fair amount of immaturity going on. He says, the evolution of forgiveness has taken a long time, and we have a long, long way to go. But if we don't learn how to do it as a species, we may not be around uh, long enough to evolve any further. All right, going a little deeper. He says, kids learn how to forgive but they don't start out as naturally forgiving creatures. This is something that they must learn. He writes, in adolescent youth and in adolescent nations, vengeance is necessary to promote identity formation. If someone else loses, then we win. He asked, uh, kind of taking on the mindset of a, a young kid, why play if you can't keep score? Identity and winning are important to a young person. Nevertheless, our capacity for forgiveness grows steadily as we mature, and the importance of winning and being terminally unique declines, hopefully.
the wise and forgiving middle-aged Nelson Mandela, after three decades of imprisonment, was not the same vengeful youth who had entered prison. The difference that age brought to Mandela was that when he entered the prison, he was bent upon setting his people free. When he left prison, he was dedicated to setting both his people and their opponents free. That's maturity. In old age, he says, we must all make peace with the world, however unjust. Eventually, we must learn to surrender the right to get even, lest the sins of the father become the legacy of the children. Thus, the transformative miracle of forgiveness is more likely to occur with maturity. He says at least two studies have demonstrated that forgiveness increases steadily from age three to age 90. Wilson wrote about the need for, he says, to better understand the positive emotions of forgiveness, psychology, religion, political science, and humanity in general must ask and then answer four crucial questions. These are the questions he poses. What goes on in the heart and mind of the wounded person during trespass? And then what happens during the transformative act of forgiveness? Two, does forgiveness depend on the person, on the situation, or on the facilitation of forgiveness by a healer? Three, when and under what conditions is it helpful to revisit the experiences that occurred during traumatic trespass in order to promote forgiveness? And four, what are the psychological ingredients that make successful reconciliation and forgiveness possible? But before answering those four questions, and, and, and we're going to get back to each one of them in a minute, he says, it is helpful to understand first what forgiveness is not. Go through these pretty quickly. He says, first, forgiveness does not mean toleration of wrongdoing. We can hate the sin, but love the sinner. He says, it's okay to be angry. You can't control that. Anger is a feeling. It's going to happen. But resentment, holding on to that anger, fueling that anger, refusing to let go of that anger, that sets up an emotional state. All right, That's resentment. And the question is learning, what do I do with my anger? So second, to forgive does not mean to forget. He says we've got to remember that hot stoves are dangerous. I got to learn that that uh, migrating from one computer to another is dangerous. You know, I don't want to forget that. Right? Museums for the Holocaust, to get more serious, are valuable. For us in recovery, we're warned uh, to leave even justifiable anger to those better able to handle it. Again, not that we don't have and won't have anger but that we won't nurse it along 
into resentments. Third, to forgive is not to surrender our right to justice. Fourth, forgiveness does not remove pain that is past. He says, it goes on here, forgiveness only removes pain in the future. A lot of, a lot of us were mistreated badly and carried a lot of anger inside of us. Under that anger is a lot of hurt. Forgiveness doesn't remove the hurt from the past. What it tries to do is remove it from being carried over into the future. And we'll get a little more deep into the meaning of, of all of that. Fifth, he says, forgiveness does not mean we excuse the wrongdoer. Only that pardon provides a chance for the wrongdoer's behavior and sometimes for our own to improve in the future. He notes that there's scant evidence that through mandatory sentencing for drug sales, that that reduces drug use or drug sales or narcotic addiction. First, what goes on during trespass in the hearts and minds of the wounded victim and in the hearts and mind of the perpetrator. Well, he gives a couple of examples of this. And he remembers a time when he was three years old and he himself was the perpetrator. He said he banged his knee climbing a set of stairs and the pain and the anger, he took it out on his innocent mother. He projects it onto her. He hit her over the head with a hanger that he'd been carrying. And in his little mind, he says, vengeance is mine, saith this three-year-old. <laughs> All right. But, but can you get in touch with that feeling that when, when you are injured, you want to strike out at somebody or something? All right. He says, I was in pain and somebody had to pay. Striking my mother felt wonderful. He goes on, my mother understood. Her more mature brain allowed her to comprehend my pain and also my primitive nervous system. Thus, she forgave me. Besides, her frontal lobes helped her to think into the future what good would punishment have accomplished? Watch the interactions between a parent and the kid, because that's where they're learning, you know? And, you know, we see parents, uh, it's kind of a form of child abuse, expecting the kids to have mature brains that they don't have, beating the hell out of them. And, and, and oftentimes, out of frustration for unforgiven stuff in our own lives that's being passed on from generation to generation. Sometimes I, I, I'll look at uh, when, I, when I'm rageful, when rage is going on inside of me, okay? I feel it. 
And I kind of ask myself at that point, Bill, how old are you right now? Emotionally, how old do you feel you are? I feel like I'm five or six years old and I want to throw a temper tantrum. All right. But, but I'm a hell of a lot older than that, you know, and it's not appropriate. So what am I going to do? I'm going to stuff it down, stuff it way down deep inside of me. Forgiveness is the furthest thing from my mind. My spiritual condition sucks, to put it bluntly, at that moment. All right. So where inventory comes in, watchfulness. Watch what's going on in myself. Become aware of it as quickly as I possibly can. The earlier, the better. Catch it upstream before it flows down and turns into a torrent. His second example uh, came, came from a student in his class. He said he gave the student a B, B minus. Gave her a B minus. And she comes up angrily after class. Uh, and she's rageful. And he says, I hated her at that moment. It was a good grade. And yet she demanded more, ungrateful little twerp. You know? But he didn't act on that. He registered that that's what's going on inside of him. But instead, he listened to her. He allowed her to get it out. And, and soon he learned that that morning, she had been turned down by her 20th medical school. And suddenly, what, 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 what Valiant says is, suddenly it was all about her and not about me. He could see where it was coming from, all right? Being enhanced by thought, move towards forgiveness, move towards prayer, all right? Because it's going to take a power greater than me, well, just like it did for alcohol or drugs. It's going to take a power greater than us to effect the forgiveness within ourselves. It ain't probably going to come from our natural goodness. At least mine doesn't. And he's going to get into that a little bit more deeply. Does forgiveness depend on the situation, the person or the healer? Here he talks about the difference between the French and the Americans. Forgiving the Germans after World War II. Right? They had, they had been uh, brutally treated. But the French had a long history of conflict with Germany, and they had brutally treated Germany after World War I. Boy, they socked it to them, all right? And, and uh, just like the, the Israelis are right now socking it to uh, the Palestinians in Gaza, they were, they were hurt, and there's no question they were hurt, all right? But there's a years and years of bitterness that 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 gets reignited and so this forgiveness stuff is deep it's deep and um and it and it requires people getting together and sharing their pain with one another that the Israelis have to talk about the pain that they experience, that the Jews have experienced at the hands of, of Muslims for years. And the Muslims have to talk about 
the pain that they've experienced at the hands of the Israelis, of the Jews for years and years. And you got to get together and you got to get it out. You got to get it out. So, so for the French, uh, it was more difficult than it was for the Americans uh, after, after World War II. Uh, so we were able to do the Marshall Plan to treat the defeated with some dignity. You know, and that was what Bookman was about. He 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 was he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, trying to get the French and the Germans to reconcile with one another. And and what we did in AA is we took that uh, pattern, those lessons, and and Wilson put them into steps eight and nine, the list of all the persons we'd harm, become willing to make amends to them all. You know, to make those uh, amends whenever possible. So his point is situations matter, but they're not determinative. They're just going to be more difficult. And what about the person? Yeah, the person makes a, a difference too. He cites a scene from the life of Martin Luther King Jr. His home had been bombed, but he knew in his heart that violence would only lead to more violence. And he goes out on the front porch and he, and he quiets the crowd. They were ready to kill one another. He asked them all to go home. You know? And he was able to do, because of where he was at, he was able to talk to them in a way that nobody else in the crowd was able to. Gandhi was able to do the same thing. You know, the, the, the Brits had, had oppressed the people of India and through nonviolence, he was out to show them another way. Not to kill them, but to love them, to forgive them. Doesn't mean to accept it. It means to work against it nonviolently. Valiant says the only reason he was able to still that crowd was because he was a man of prayer. And, and he does a little uh, sidebar here. He says, um, the forgiveness he found was in his heart. And, and he, his heart had been changed through prayer. And that prayer was able to stop future violence. Draws two lessons. One, revenge is rooted in the past. And one reason that prayer is effective in forgiving is because prayer helps us to root ourselves in the future. We can envision a different future, a better future, and we can walk towards it. It's one of the things about human beings. We have the ability to change. We have the ability to see it doesn't have to be the way it's been. I mean, I came from a long family of alcoholics, passed on generation to generation to generation. Somebody had to stop that chain reaction. That was one of the things that, that induced me to stay sometimes. I'm not just doing this for me. I'm doing this for my children. I'm doing it for their children. Somebody's got to start, you know? 
Second, this is an important one. Forgiveness is contagious. That vengeance and violence, all they do is generate more of the same. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Gandhi said, if we follow that, we're all going to be blind and toothless. But forgiveness can generate forgiveness in others as well. And, and a little short reflection here. I, I hear sometimes uh, people talking about steps eight and nine in, in the rooms, and they seem to think they're all about us. I, I've heard people say, you know, I don't give a damn how the other person responds. That's, that's not my business, all right? Mine is to get it off of my chest. That's what eight and nine are about. Well, I got to say, that's a far piece from uh, where they originated in our history. The idea was that uh, forgiveness generates more forgiveness. You know, then their, their intent was, yes, change the person, then change the family, then change the community, then change the country, then change the world. You be the change you want to see in the world. Critical, critical. Question three, the transgression. The listener must not be a rescuer, he cautions. People need to have their pain. They're entitled to it. Don't deny it. Say things like, God, that must have hurt. Allow them, help them, facilitate their going a little bit deeper if they're ready to do that. And you share the pain with them. And don't be afraid to cry with them, not for them, but with them. It's okay to feel another person's pain. That's empathy. Helps them to know they're not alone. Helps them to know that we can help carry it with them. All right? Help them to grieve and to mourn the things that cannot be restored. Sometimes the damage is done. There's not much or anything you can do to go back and change it. All right? Help them to grieve. Help them to mourn. If I don't get some tears when I'm listening to a fifth step, I, I have some questions whether the person went deep enough um, I was bawling my eyes out, you know? That's good. That's good. Good sign. Question four. What are the psychological ingredients that make possible successful reconciliation and forgiveness? He says, instilling hope, faith, love, and joy in victims is often beyond our reach. But we can try to be facilitators of their acts of forgiveness. And we need to understand the dynamics of forgiveness. We must realize that to take away the prospect of vengeance from a recently wounded victim is fruitless. Too rapid, too superficial forgiveness may reflect an aggressive need to dominate through moral superiority. Forgiveness takes time. George writes that to be most effective, the anger, the anger that's still there, must be harnessed to serve the future and to empower the victim. 
anger channeled properly can be helpful. He notes that in AA, to help a sponsee overcome suffocating resentments, the sponsor might advise, I guess there's nothing left to do but pray for the son of a bitch. <laughs> Honors the pain, channels the energy towards the future, all right, and does it with some humor. Humor is very healing. Uh, if we we got to learn to laugh at ourselves uh, or we're going to spend a lot of time crying. Honors the past, directs it towards the future. I want to close now with a, a reflection on uh, one of the best 12-step meetings I, I ever attended. Uh, it was many years ago, and it was somewhere in Ohio. Couldn't, couldn't even tell you the town. And the meeting centered on a whole family in recovery. It wasn't just one person getting up to tell their story. It was three people from the same family getting up to tell their story. And uh, boy, if, if you want to find uh, a laboratory where forgiveness is needed, open up a family, all right? Open up the emotions, the hurts, the pain that we have caused one another over the years. The mother was an alcoholic in AA. The husband was in Al-Anon. And, and, and their son was a member of Alateen. Each had about 10, 12 minutes uh, to tell their story. Tell their story. So important that we tell our stories. All right. Learn how to tell your story. Not just funny stories, but the pain and the anger and the hurt that's inside each and every one of us. That's the story. So that's what they did. First, the son. He was the first one. And when, when he was speaking, the other two were off, uh, off stage. They couldn't hear it. What did he talk about? The anger, the confusion, the hatred, the coping, uh, the terror that he went through as a kid dealing with an alcoholic mother. It hurt. It hurt. And you felt it in the audience. And if you had hurt in your own growing up, it kind of went back to that. God, look at this. They're starting to deal with the big secret. Then comes the father. He talks about his hurt, his bitterness, his want, wanting to have vengeance, his story. And then he talks about seeking help for the family. Somebody's got to do it. It takes one, just one was going to start the process. He started it. And then finally, the mother comes out. And by that time, you know, you think mother's going to come out and tell some funny stories about her drinking history? I don't think so. The truth was out there on the table. And, and she was then able to own it, to face it. All right? She'd made her amends to the family. 
and they had made their amends to her as well. This thing is a family illness. And there is such a thing as family healing. Each one did what? They told their truth. What it was like for them. What happened when the family shifted? And what is it like now? That's a story. That's the full story. Human dignity had been restored to each person. That's one of the qualities, Valiant says, has to happen in genuine forgiveness. They strive to listen and to understand one another, not to find the, who is the perpetrator and how are we going to punish the son of a bitch. You know, that's healing. That's forgiving. They made amends to one another living amends. They learned a hell of a lesson from that uh, experience. As I say, probably the most powerful AA meeting I had ever been to uh, in my entire life. It, it, it was just an amazing experience. Um, and and I, I wish I saw more of it and wish we practiced uh, more of that. There's one piece that uh, I think Valiant failed to get to or, or to talk about very much in his chapter. I was kind of waiting for it, and, and it, it did not come. And that was the need that many of us find to forgive ourselves. All right, We have a relationship with ourself, and sometimes it is extremely cruel. All right. Jung helped me understand this. Two-way prayer helped me understand this. Get into that in a minute. But let me first quote from Jung, because it, it's a beautiful description. He writes, the acceptance of oneself is the essence of the whole moral problem and the epitome of a whole outlook on life. That I feed the hungry, that I forgive an insult, that I love my enemy in the name of Christ. All these are undoubtedly great virtues. What I do unto the least of my brethren, that I do unto Christ. But then he continues, but what if I should discover that the least among them all, the poorest of all the beggars, the most impudent of all the offenders, the very enemy himself, that these are within me, and that I myself stand in need of the alms of my own kindness, that I myself and the am the enemy who must be loved. What then? I've seen so many people, and I include myself in this, stuck in that. You know, I, I can forgive you, but me, me, you know, this is, this is real bondage of self. And a lot of us addicts and alcoholics uh, have real difficulty in getting to this level of emotional maturity and spiritual evolution, that the forgiveness includes ourselves. One of the things that Jung taught me 
was that there are two separate levels of consciousness. There's the ego level, and there is the greater self, the greater personality, the Christ mind, the Buddha mind, cosmic consciousness goes by many names. I call it the inner voice in two-way prayer. All right. It's the voice that's honest, pure, unselfish, loving to go back to the Oxford group connection. All right. That's how they knew they were hearing it, that the ego voice sounds angry, brutal, judgmental, but there's another voice and people find it. And if they do the two-way prayer, that's what you're going to get in touch with. There is another part of me. People ask me, is, um, is, is this really God you're listening to? Or isn't it you're just yourself? My answer is, if it's myself, it's the best part of myself. It's the, it's the self that ought to be in charge. It's the self that I ought to listen to. It's the self that knows what I need. It's the self that is more mature than my other self. It's loving. It's forgiving. All right. And I've been doing two-way prayer for what, 31 years? I've never had the inner voice yell at me, condemn me. You know, it, it, it's, it's there to forgive me, you know? And, 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 and that has opened up a whole new level to my, my recovery. You know, the voice is the voice of God within us. I think it draws us towards forgiveness. It forgives us when, when we won't forgive ourselves. So I hope, George, when you rewrite your uh, next edition to this book, uh, include a little section there on self-forgiveness. I just think it's, it's really important. He concludes, and I will as well, by saying that uh, forgiveness is a bit of a miracle. And I think he's right. But the big book reminds us, and they actually took this from the Oxford group, that the age of miracles is still here. It's still available to us. And the miracle of receiving forgiveness from the inner voice, that can change everything. So I'm going to encourage you tomorrow. I gave a little homework last week. Uh, somebody wrote me and said they did their homework. They listened to that uh, Ode to Joy, and uh, it moved them. I'm going to give you another little piece of homework. Take a little thing uh, in your life that you won't forgive yourself for. You know, maybe something you did, maybe uh, some shameful thing that you've carried for years. Ask God. Just say, I I've had a, a really hard time. I beat myself up with this thing. Can you help me, please? And then listen. Listen. I don't think you're going to get beat up. I think you're going to get loved on. And I think you're going to sense and feel forgiveness and it's going to fill your heart and that's going to allow you to grow spiritually to mature spiritually okay it ain't left brain it's right brain and it's uh it is the right brain that <laughs> we, we we need to uh learn to live within more and more so listen receive change Ended one of them uh, with a quote from scripture saying, God is love. Well, God is also forgiveness. And uh, he can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So let him do it. Okay. Well, okay. That's all I got. I do hope this was helpful. It was helpful to me because uh, it's an area that I'm still working on after 51 years. But uh, 
you know, we got time. <laughs> okay. God bless. Keep coming back. We'll try this again next time.